Welcome to Creation Radio and TV. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, the president of Creation Training Initiative. Today's topic is called Genetics and Evolution. Are humans really kissing cousins of apes? Or is there another story that we haven't heard? Evolutionists often use the claim that genetics supports evolution as a fact supports that humans evolved from ape-like creatures, specifically a chimpanzee. In order to do this, they use three arguments from genetics. Number one, humans and chimps' DNA is only about 2% different. In other words, our DNA in chimpanzees is only 2% different. Kind of makes you feel like eating a banana right now, doesn't it? Argument number two, something called junk DNA. They claim that 97% of human DNA is junk, left over from our days of evolving or mutations. And number three, fusion of chromosome number two. It appears that human chromosome number two corresponds to two separate chromosomes in chimpanzees. Those are the three main arguments they use to support that humans evolved from ape-like creatures, chimpanzees. Well, let's start with some background. What is DNA? Because this can be a very heavy topic, and we're going to make this as simple as possible. DNA is considered the software of life. Every living cell contains DNA and provides all the instructions for our survival, our continued growth, and our reproduction. It contains the genetic code and is made up of chromosomes. Each creature has a specific number of chromosomes. For example, asparagus, those things we eat, have 30 chromosomes. Carrots have 18. Broccoli has 18 chromosomes. Alligators have 32. Cats have 38. Dogs have 78 chromosomes. Earthworms have 36. Sheep have 54. Horses have 64, humans have 46 chromosomes, and chimpanzees have 48 chromosomes. Now, what is the difference between DNA, chromosomes, and genes? A chromosome is just a large section of DNA with genes on it. Each gene is a stretch of DNA that has the instructions for making a specific protein. In other words, the thousands or tens of thousands of proteins all work together to make a working plant or animal, and it's the genes that have the instructions for building proteins. What this means is, is the genes, not the chromosomes that matter making a plant or animal what they really are. Chromosomes are just how genes happen to be grouped. So that's the difference between DNA, chromosomes, and genes. Now let's get to evidence number one. What about humans and chimps? Are we really only about 2% different in our DNA? Well, textbooks promote this idea that humans are only 2% different in our DNA. We learn it in biology class all the time that we're equated to chimpanzees. Many university professors teach that humans and chimps are closely related. Many scientific journals promote the fact that we evolved from chimpanzees. Let's take an example here. The American Association for the Advancements of Science in 2012 had an article in the Journal of Science that stated this. Ever since researchers sequenced the chimp genome in 2005, 
They have known that humans share about 99% of our DNA with chimpanzees, making them our closest living relatives. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> that's a big claim. But let's take a look at the real scientific facts, what we know for sure. That claim of 1% difference in our DNA goes back to 1975. This was long before a direct comparison between chimp and human DNA was even possible. So right there we see a flaw in their argument. Their hog argument was based on a belief in evolution, but not science. The first draft of the human DNA was not published until 2001, and the chimp DNA until 2005. And what is not commonly taught in our classrooms is this. The 1975 comparisons use only selected and limited comparisons. They only looked at the parts of the DNA that were similar, but not the parts that were not similar. In other words, the results were biased based on a belief in evolution. In other words, it was not an honest or an objective comparison. In 2007, new and published research titled Relative Differences, the Myth of 1%, indicated that the real difference is 5%. However, in 2012 in the media, they continued to spread this myth of 1%. And finally, comparisons of the whole genome, not just the selected parts, has now revealed that we are over 20% difference in our DNA. Roy J. Britton, PhD, who's done his postdoctoral work in biophysics, in the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in 2002 made this statement. Divergences between samples of chimpanzees and human DNA sequence is 5%. That was back in 2002, but yet in 2012, the evolutionists are still teaching 1% to 2%. Jeffrey Tompkins, who has his PhD in genetics, makes this statement. A recent study compared chimpanzee chromosomes to their similar human counterpart chromosomes using highly optimized DNA matching conditions and found that the chimpanzee genome was only 70% similar to human overall. In other words, the current scientific evidence now shows we're over 70% different in our DNA from chimpanzees, but yet our public education system will not teach the truth. Jay Weil who has his PhD in nuclear chemistry, states, Early on, it was widely thought that human DNA and chimp DNA were 99% similar. That was based on a very limited analysis of only a minute fraction of human and chimp DNA. Genome-wide, only 70% of the chimpanzee DNA was similar to human under the most optimal sequence sliced conditions. While chimpanzees and humans share many localized protein coding regions of high similarity, the overall extreme discontinuity between the two genomes defies evolutionary timescales and dogmatic presuppositions about a common ancestor. Bert Thompson, who has his PhD in microbiology, and Brad Harab, who has his PhD in anatomy and neurology, makes this statement. While many evolutionists proclaim that human DNA is 98% identical to chimpanzee DNA, 
Few would lie by idly and allow themselves to receive a transplant using chimpanzee organs. As a matter of fact, American doctors tried using chimp organs in the 1960s, but in all cases, the organs were totally unsuitable. The claim of 98% similarity between chimpanzee and humans is not only deceptive and misleading, but also scientifically incorrect. Now, John Sanford, who has a PhD in genetics. In fact, we know man and chimp differ at more than 150 million nucleotide positions. Wow. Are you getting the point evolutionists are simply not honest here? Our schools are way out of date and teaching known wrong information? Now, Jerry Bergman, PhD in human biology and also a PhD in measurement and evaluation with a master's in biomedical science states this. An example of how misleading the 94 to 98% numbers can be is the fact that the chimp genome has been consistently reported to be about 6 to 10% larger than the human genome by estimating nuclear DNA content. In other words, how can the human and chimp DNA only be 2% different when the chimpanzee's DNA is over 6% larger than ours. It doesn't make any scientific sense to make that statement 2%. <clears throat> so conclusion on the 2%. The education system and the media are either out of touch <clears throat> with true science or they are deliberately passing on false information to protect and promote their belief in evolutionism. Now let's go to evidence number two called junk DNA, which is commonly used by evolutionists to promote that we evolved from ape-like creatures. The discovery in the 1970s that only a small percentage, about 3% of our DNA coded for making proteins, has led evolutionists to believe that most of our DNA is non-functional or junk. Ken Miller, who has his PhD and author of many biology textbooks, makes this statement. In fact, the human genome is littered with pseudogenes, gene fragments, orphan genes, junk DNA, and so many repeated copies of pointless DNA sequences that it cannot be attributed to anything that resembles intelligent design. This is one of the textbooks many of our students read. Now, Francis Collins, former president of BioLogos and former director of the U.S. National Institute of Health makes this statement. Junk DNA provides evidence for Darwin's theory of evolution. So the evolutionists clearly use junk DNA to support we evolve from ape-like creatures. Since the 1970s, junk DNA has become a so-called proof of evolution and taught as a fact in our schools. <clears throat> so now, let's take a look at the real facts. Nessa Carey, PhD in virology, which is the science of dealing with the study of viruses and diseases, also a senior lecturer, lecturer in molecular biology, makes this statement. What does junk DNA do? A lot of things. It maintains the integrity of our chromosomes, regulates the ways the protein coding genes are expressed, influences how we age, and generally in introduces incredible degrees of subtlety 
and flexibility into how we use the relatively small numbers of genes that code for proteins. Right there, she's staying, saying there is no junk DNA. Then she goes on to make this statement. It, meaning non-coding DNA, was dismissed for a long time as having no function. This is a pretty classic example of the surprisingly common phenomena in biology where if we don't know something, we assume there is nothing to know. Whoops. In other words, if we don't understand something, we just call it evolution. Folks, that's not science. That's a lack of integrity. That means we're not doing very good research and we're not teaching accurate information. Robert Carter, who has his PhD in biology, makes this statement. Modern technology has now killed the concept of junk DNA. This occurred after the completion of the Human Genome Project. There are many reasons why people today believe the majority of DNA in a cell is functional. For example, functions have been found for many retrantrotransposons, which were once thought to be pieces of viruses that had inserted themselves into our genome over courses of millions of years. Also, functions have been found for much of the vast stretches of non-protein coding DNA that sits between genes. It turns out most of the genome is active. Now let's talk about something called the ENCODE project, E-N-C-O-D-E. The ENCODE, the word itself stands for Encyclopedia of DNA Elements. The project began in 2003 as an outgrowth of the Human Genome Project. The project of analyzing the human genome lasted for nine years, and the project consisted of hundreds of scientists from dozens of labs around the world. What were their findings? The most intensive study ever done. The results were published in a set of 29 scientific papers in a special issue of the Journal of Nature in 2012. The results revealed that 80% of our DNA was functional. One of the reports from Project ENCODE made this statement. These data enable us to assign biochemical functions for 80% of the genome, in particular outside of the well-studied protein coding regions. Ewan Burney, the lead analysis coordinator for the ENCODE project, made this statement. It's likely that 80% will go to 100%. We really don't have any large chunks of redundant DNA. The metaphor of junk isn't that useful. Rather than being inactive, those portions of DNA that evolutionists call inactive, those portions that do not code for making proteins, they actually contain about 4 million gene switches, transcription factors that control when our genes turn on and off and how much protein they will make. These not only affect the cells all over our body, but in doing so, they do it at different points in our lifetime. In other words, about 80% of our DNA lies in the instructions that coax an uncommitted cell in a growing embryo to form a brain neuron, or direct a cell in the pancreas to turn out, turn out insulin after a meal, or guide a skin cell to bud off and replace a predecessor that has been shed. In other words, the scientific evidence supports we do not have junk DNA.
So how are many evolutionists responding to this new scientific evidence? Many are protesting and do not accept the most in-depth scientific study ever done by hundreds of scientists around the world. The most intensive study ever done. Why? Because it does not agree with their faith in evolution. Larry Morin, <coughs> professor of biochemistry, makes this statement. One of the things textbook authors have to be careful of is discarding solid, well-established models like junk DNA based on the results of a few modern experiments. <coughs> Folks, this is not a few modern experiments. This is around the world with hundreds of scientists. This clearly demonstrates the scientific evidence does not matter to many of the evolutionists. What matters to them is we do not believe in a creator God. Ladies and gentlemen, how can any biology teacher in good conscience teach known false information such as junk DNA or their DNA is only 2% different from chimpanzees? Is it because if they teach the truth, they might lose their job? And folks, that is true. If they teach true science today in our public schools, they could lose their job. Is it because they do not believe in the living God of the Bible? Many do not believe in the God of the Bible. Is it because they want people to believe in evolution regardless of the truth? When they teach that we evolved from ape-like creatures because of this evidence, that is clear evidence the public education system is not about educating anymore but it is about indoctrination into what the state wants you to believe. In class, folks, we expect our students to be honest, especially when taking a test. But how can we expect our students to be honest when these biology teachers are teaching known, wrong, and deceptive information? Are we sending a message to our students that honesty, integrity doesn't matter anymore? Finally, a quote from Jonathan Wells, who has his PhD in molecular and cell biology. Scientists make progress by testing hypotheses against the evidence. But when scientists ignore the evidence and cling to hypotheses for philosophical or theological reasons, the hypothesis becomes myth. Junk DNA is such a myth, and it's time to leave it behind. Now let's go to the final evidence. Fusion of chromosome 2. This is another argument used by evolution to promote humans evolved from an ape-like ancestor. It is the idea of a chromosome fusion, specifically chromosome number 2. The story goes that in a common ancestor shared by humans and apes, two chromosomes fused together to make one chromosome in humans. That is used to explain the difference in the number of chromosomes between humans and chimpanzees. See, humans have 46 chromosomes and chimpanzees have 48. Now, to help understand this concept, we need to know something about the endpoints of chromosomes. At the end of each of our chromosomes, there's something called a telomere. Now, telomeres do not do any coding for making proteins. They're like a buffer between our chromosomes so they don't fuse together. They also hold the endpoints of the chromosomes in place. Now, typical human telomeres are rather large. They range in size from about 5,000 to about 15,000 base pairs. 
Now, there are at least four problems with the evolutionist explanation about chromosome number two and how it possibly fused together. Number one, the sequence or telomere to telomere length in this fusion point, so-called fusion point, is only 800 bases long. This is far short of the 10,000 bases or more that would be expected to find between 2,000 base pair telomeres. So there's a big problem. It doesn't match what we'd expect to find. Number two, the data does not match up with the known mutation rates found in human DNA. In other words, the fusion-like sequence is only 70% similar to what we would expect to find. Three, the fusion site contains no type of satellite DNA. Satellite DNA is a portion of DNA whose density differs from that of other DNA, consisting of short, repeating, non-coding sequences. And number four, this is the biggest one. The alleged fusion occurs in a region of the genome that is full of genes. Telomeres do not contain genes. Again, this is the biggest problem for evolutionists for the alleged gene fusion because it is located in the middle of a functional gene. Jeffrey Tompkins, PhD in genetics, makes this statement. It is not a fossil remnant of a chromosomal accident at all, but an important DNA regulatory feature called a promoter or a genetic switch inside a highly expressed gene. In other words, this is much like a gene. It does something. It is not junk. It is not non-functional. So the conclusion. We have examined three of the main genetic evidences evolutionists use to support that we evolved from ape-like creatures. In all three cases, the evidence was shown to be false. In other words, the evidence clearly does not support evolutionists. However, as we have seen, scientific evidence really doesn't matter to the evolutionist. Even though the scientific evidence does not support evolution, many continue to believe in evolution. Public schools continue to teach evolution as a fact using these three evidences. The media continues to promote our evolution from ape-like creatures. And sad but true, many of our Christian universities teach forms of evolution. An organization such as BioLogos and Reasons to Believe continue to teach evolution or forms of evolution to other Christians. Ladies and gentlemen, we were warned that things like this would happen. Almost 2,000 years ago, we were warned of this kind of incident. And we see this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, where it reads, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Ladies and gentlemen, the human body is a marvelous creation. It is fearfully and wonderfully made by an all-powerful, all-knowing Creator God. Randy Galusa, a medical doctor and an engineer, makes this statement. In fact, the mind behind the design of these systems must possess a thorough understanding of how every tissue functions and works together in perfect orchestration. According to an astounding understanding, that mind is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, our infinite creator. Our normal response to his marvelous creation should be 
the all-inspired praise. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. Psalm 92, verse 5. At CTI, a Creation Training Initiative, we are already training Christians to stand firm and be able to defend their faith, the truth of God's Word, against this onslaught of evolutionism. If you'd like to get someone in your church or school trained to be able to teach biblical creation and apologetics, teach the truth to our youth, then you need to bring one of our courses to your area. Or you might consider being a financial supporter of the Creation Training Initiative and help a teacher or youth leader somewhere else around the country be able to attend one of our courses. And I'll leave you with this. How will our youth know the truth if someone does not teach them? Thank you and God bless you. If these lessons had been a blessing to you, you might consider financially supporting the Ministry of Creation Training Initiative. You can do this by going to our website, creationtraining.org. Again, that's creationtraining.org. Your tax-deductible donation of just $20, $50 or more a month, or a one-time gift of any amount will make you an education partner in building an army of Christian educators who can teach the biblical account of creation and train others to be able to defend their faith and be biblically faithful to God's Word as it states in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear.